The future of healthcare is exciting with many new therapies finding incredible success. The Heroic Dose brought to you by Microdose is a one-day virtual conference that will explore the use of psychedelic therapies in military veterans and first responders in an effort to combat the alarming rates of PTSD, substance abuse, and suicide in this coveted yet undeserved demographic. Topics discussed include the therapeutic potential of psychedelics over opioids for pain management, reducing the graduation of acute pain to chronic pain, and preventing suicide in the long run. The Heroic Dose will cover the intersection of clinical care, research, and investment arenas. Now, while this is an all-day event on April 22nd, yours truly will be moderating a panel at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. The panels focus the altered state of combat veteran trauma and the quest for novel therapeutics in psychedelic substances history and overview of current treatments. And the panel will feature four veterans who have used psychedelic therapies to combat PTSD, trauma, opioid addiction, and I would love to show them some support from the phenomenal Brian Nichols Show audience. So please follow the link to the show notes to the Microdose website and sign up for this incredible virtual conference. And if you are a veteran, a 100% discount will be applied at checkout. Again, that's the Heroic Dose brought to you by Microdose. Link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who is getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Wednesday, welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. What's happened since we last spoke? I don't know. Janet Yellen's talking about some crazy international corporate tax rate, so that sounds fun. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. I'm your humble host, Brian Nichols, and what an absolutely pertinent and topical conversation that uh, my guests and I had today and is one focused on what's the future of our monetary system. I teased it there with Janet Yellen talking about this new corporate tax rate and it's because I think we're going to start to see a lot of companies and such say maybe the U.S. dollar isn't the most sound investment. Maybe it's not the most, what, realistic way to do commerce Going forward, are we seeing a shift in the way that people use money or are we actually seeing people replace money altogether? Bitcoin, yes, we have seen, especially in recent months with the U.S. debt just spiraling out of control. We have seen a more renewed interest in Bitcoin as not just the value uh, that it represents, but also the form of exchange, this possible new form of currency that we're seeing large companies like Tesla and PayPal and even some of these larger banks starting to get comfortable with. So J.W. Weatherman, who joined us last time talking about MathBot, is joining the program to discuss all things Bitcoin. So if you've wanted to learn what is Bitcoin, start out here with the basics, or if you're trying to look at it as a possible investment, or as I said, as a means of currency, all your questions and more are answered. So that being said, on to the show, J.W. Weatherman here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. This At, is uh, always fun. For sure. No, JW, it's 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 always fun, and it's always a great opportunity 
um, for us to get to know more about things that, candidly, I know very little about. And this is, we're getting into, like, this technical world of things. And you find yourself more focused today on, on crypto and specifically looking at a Bitcoin. And this is the future, right? I see Russell Okung on Twitter. He's he's talking about Bitcoin left and right. And he's, you know, for the people who aren't aware, he, offensive lineman in the NFL. Um, you're seeing... Uh, these large banks starting to adopt uh, Bitcoin. I think Tesla just said that they're going to go ahead and start having uh, Tesla be purchased by Bitcoin. So there is a definite move in a direction towards something other than this fiat currency. So I think right now a lot of people are starting to ask you know more questions, starting to learn a little bit more. So let's kind of start off here. JW, when we're looking at not just Bitcoin, right? Um, but cryptocurrency in general, if we're to start out for your average person who's like, I have no idea about what crypto is, why is it important? What's the basic elevator pitch? Why should they start to look at cryptocurrency as a real uh, possible solution to replacing our existing monetary system we have today? Yeah. So the, the problem with what we have today is that you have central banks that are producing the money. And you can see that when you're getting you know these stimulus checks coming out, that's the scene, right? Economists talk about the scene and the unseen kind of problem. So the scene is that, oh, people are getting free money. The unseen is that that money comes out of people's savings accounts. Um, so when you're getting a check, uh, you know, they've printed more money. So whatever, let's say that you have $100,000 in the bank, right? You're, you've done really well. You've saved up for retirement. You've got 100 grand. When they print money, they're increasing the supply of it, but they haven't increased the utility of it. Right. So what that means is that the savings that you have, the purchasing power is going to go down. And you can see that pretty clearly when you go to buy a pound of ground beef right now. Right. It's, it's not because of, you know, goofy supply chain things or any things that they're trying to direct your attention to. It's because they have increased the money supply. Therefore, everything gets more expensive. And that, that's really what inflation is and where it comes from. So the problem with that is that you're stealing from one group and you're giving to another. If if they really wanted to, you know, make it fair, what they would do is they would figure out, all right, you've worked all your life, you have 100 grand in the bank, you're a young guy, you haven't you haven't worked very hard or you've consumed everything that you've worked for, so you only have 5 grand in the bank. We're going to increase your bank account balance everybody by 5%, right? That would be a a fair way to to do it, right? Proportionate. Um, the problem with that is it wouldn't have any effect, right? If everybody just had more money, but everything was 5% more expensive, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't, quote, stimulate the economy. So what they have to do is they have to print money, and then they have to give it to a different group than they're taking from, or it's not going to have an impact. And who do they give it to? You know, you can look at the amount of stimulus checks coming out, and the majority of the money in all of these things, which are really transparent, but they, they do this in all kinds of other ways, too. The majority of the money is going to their friends and they're throwing some crumbs to the people that they're screwing over. So that's the problem. Um, and the solution is the solution has to be something that affects all nations equally. Um, so if we if we said, OK, you know, like Ron Paul's advocated for, let's get the U.S. on a gold standard. There's a big problem with that. And that is that all of a sudden the U.S. government, even, you know, even though in a lot of ways they're a mafia, right? They're, they, they're corrupt government, mafia, whatever you want to call them. They, they, they extract wealth from the civilian population through central banking. If they stop doing that, then they're a less productive mafia. And you know what happens to mafias that are less productive than other mafias? They get replaced. So libertarians call this the hard problem. Um, and it's not just the hard problem. It's like it, 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 in a lot of ways, debunks everything that libertarianism stands for. Because if you can't actually do what you're advocating for without having possibly more negative consequences, 
then you just need to go back to the drawing board. So that's that's where we're at pre-Bitcoin, right? That, this is this is a, a big problem for Mises and Rothbard and why they're not totally on the same page. Uh, so there's a lot of history around this issue. And what Bitcoin does is it allows us to upgrade our monetary system. Instead of saying, hey, we're going to try to go back to the 19th century and do something that didn't work by going on a gold standard that's just going to lead to central banking in anyway. Oh, and by the way, China is going to clean our clock in the process. What we can do is say, okay, there's this new technology and individual people that have access to this new technology can adopt it. And this can be a basically a global upgrade of the monetary system that makes that form of central bank slavery obsolete everywhere. So we don't have to worry about our enemies being more funded than us. So let me then, uh, I guess, transition away from just looking at it from a governmental standpoint. But let's go to the individual. You did mention, you know, your average person who puts money in, in the, the bank and so forth and how that does as inflation go up, start to lose value. And you see the, the cost of associated goods start to increase as inflation increases along the way. So, I mean, we, we do see um, the value, not just to the government, but to the individual. But let's say you are your average person just looking to get started in exploring Bitcoin, how would they begin that process and where should they start looking, I guess, to avoid um, maybe some some pitfalls that are common in, in folks when they do start looking for uh, for alternatives in the cryptocurrency world? Yeah, so there, there's a couple things. One is you got to get, you got to understand what this thing is about. So I put together a website about four years ago when I got into Bitcoin at 10hoursofbitcoin.com. And the idea is that it's the smallest amount of content that I can put together so that when you buy Bitcoin, you're not just a clueless, uh, lucky guy, right? Uh, you actually have have enough knowledge of the technology and the economics in play to, to be smart money, right? Um, so I definitely recommend people run through that. As soon as they get to the point where they understand what's happening, I recommend that they just go all in on Bitcoin. And that's a very aggressive thing to say. Um, by the time you're done with that 10 hours, you won't be interested in any of the things we call shit coins. There's one government hard open source project called Bitcoin. And then there's a lot of affinity scammers, right? Uh, spe specifically for the libertarian group, we have Roger Ver. Um, you know, he, he created this Bitcoin cash thing and he made a lot of money just by doing an affinity scam on top of libertarians um, and, and take it, you know, affinity scams, the way they work is they look at this profile of people, they find their weaknesses and they exploit them for money. So that's what all the shit coiners do. Um, and they're, they're not legitimate projects. But again, once you go through that 10 hours of Bitcoin, it is a significant investment. But you're about to live through, very likely, you're about to live through hyperinflation if you're not living through it right now. So if you can't get off your butt and invest 10 hours in it, you know, have fun staying poor, right? And, and probably get getting super, super poor uh, to the point of, you know, deep poverty um, because it's not, it's not easy to live through hyperinflation and it's not unlikely that we all get to experience that. So... You, when we first reached out, you'd mentioned that there are some some fears that people have when they're looking at Bitcoin, some apprehensions. So I'll, I'll guess I'll, I'll kind of set the stage here. What would you say are some of the top concerns people have when they first go into Bitcoin that can easily be, um, you know, easily be de I debunked, but maybe the issues that they have or the concerns they have can easily be resolved with a little bit of a, maybe information or some more context. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of really good reasons to be concerned going into Bitcoin. I mean, it's it's new technology. It's 12 years old. 
Um, and it's basically saying, hey, trust us with your with all of your worldly wealth, right? Like, let's use this for money. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to be concerned about it. I think that said, though, you have to know what the old system is um, in order to compare it. So one of the really you know pathetic arguments against Bitcoin is that it uses a lot of energy. But nobody that makes that argument ever takes any time to figure out how much energy is used with the old system. And even if you exclude the biggest use of energy of the old system, which is military might, right? Literally dropping bombs on Syria, you know, limbs on the ground, all of this stuff is necessary in a system where we have mercantilism or central banking. Because if the US, for example, is less influential in the Middle East, then somebody's going to be more influential in the Middle East. And that might be China. And maybe that's not good for the average American. Maybe that's actually bad for us. So it's not really clear what the heck we, we need to do with regard to foreign policy when everybody is naturally at each other's throats all the time. We're in continual war all the time between all different central banks because that's how competition works, right? Just like Pepsi is at, at war with Coca-Cola, uh, the US is at war with China. And it's not always a hot war. Sometimes it's just an economic war, but it's always about how much influence they can have on the region uh, and and economic resources, right? Because if they don't, somebody else is going to have that. And what drives all of this is the ability to force people to use your money. That's the most profitable. Uh, that's the jewel of the empires, right? So if we can remove that and just get rid of it, then all of that, all those natural resources. I mean, all the oil that we we burn, driving tanks around and blowing stuff up, should be part of this equation. But even if I give you that, even if you set all of that aside and you say, well, that's a little too abstract, I'm not sure that's a direct expense, Bitcoin is trying to replace the banking system, uh, the whole the whole system of you know bank accounts, uh, people driving in to uh, having to show their ID to get their bank account unlocked, um, all of the bankers in the world, all of Goldman Sachs, right? All these buildings full of people, people are driving cars in and out, maybe not as much anymore, but there's a lot of, a lot of freaking resources that are used to keep that system going. Just the, just the very bare bones payment, uh, that whole network, you know, creating money, keeping bank accounts. If you just take that, it's an incredible amount of resources that are used every year globally. So, um, so that's one of the ways to debunk a lot of this stuff is to say, yes, there is cost. That's the scene, but what's the unseen? What's all of the things that we're saving and benefiting by moving to this new system? So energy consumption is one that people, you know, that's, that's probably the hot FUD right now. Um, uh, but I think a more legitimate one is, can the thing be broken, right? Can somebody hack it? Can right. somebody steal the money? And, and yeah, and that's my um, day job, there... right? We're in cybersecurity, business continuity. And that's like everybody's number one concern is, is our network secure? Can we do internal, external penetration tests? Can we do phishing campaigns to make sure my team's not going to be responding to silly emails? Yeah, like that's on the top of everybody's agenda, it seems right now. Right, right. And I mean, if you're talking about the global money system, that's definitely something that you should be concerned about. Um, and the answer is no, it can't. Uh, for 12 years, all the smartest people in the world have been trying to find a way to break this thing. It's had like, you you, you know about bug bounties, right? So if, no, if somebody no, finds a flaw. And, oh, okay. All right. So a bug bounty is like, if one of the ways that we have one of the key sort of 
ecosystems that allows us to have secure software is that you have all of these black hat hackers, gray hat hackers, white hat, you have all these people running around trying to find flaws in software. And if you find a flaw in something like Windows, you can get a hold of Microsoft and they'll give you money in exchange for that information because you're you're exposing them to an issue they didn't know about. It gives them a chance to patch it. Everybody's happy. Uh, you're basically working for them, right? They have internal teams that do it, but they also will pay external people to do it. Um, and the same thing applies to Bitcoin in a sense where uh, you might get, like if you found a, a flaw in Windows, you might get $50,000 out of Microsoft. Right. But if you could find a flaw in Bitcoin, you could make billions of dollars. You could short Bitcoin really aggressively, right? Borrow a bunch of money, buy a bunch of Bitcoin, sell it. And then, you know, basically you're borrowing the Bitcoin, then you're selling it and you have to pay it back in the future. And that's what shorting is. You could do that and then ex and then exploit the network and bring it to its knees. And you could make billions and billions of dollars instead of $50,000. Um, so that's been going on with a lot of people trying to find that opportunity, the smartest minds in the world, including governments around the world, right? Like, you can you can be sure that the NSA and the CIA and the you know the the Egyptian intelligence agencies these guys have all been trying to find a way to break Bitcoin because that's their job and they'll they'll be trying to find a way to break Bitcoin or Windows or whatever and that those are resources that they have at their government's disposal and the end result is after twelve years and billions of dollars being on the table it hasn't been exploited that doesn't mean it couldn't be in the future but as a security expert myself I can tell you I've been thinking about it for five years. And I don't even think, uh, four years, I don't even think there is a way uh, because the design is so solid. Um, and ultimately, even if it was broken, it would be recoverable. So, you know, if somebody found a way to bring the network offline, we would still have records of all the transactions and we'd be able to bring it online. So I don't think that from a, des like a design standpoint, it's possible. And then just from a practical, what we've seen over the last decade plus, it's not possible. Interesting. Interesting. So we see, and you, you mentioned there's, this is everything of, of top of a conversation in somewhat regards in libertarian circles. We've been talking about this stuff for over a decade. Um, and I think a lot of libertarians do get hung up on that. So maybe we can start to turn the conversation a little bit more towards the, the LP camp as we, we, you know, look at the second half of the conversation here. What are some common pitfalls or common dead ends that you're seeing that libertarians are, are taking as we approach this conversation towards Bitcoin and crypto? Yeah, I think the main thing is that that phrase right there, Bitcoin and crypto, right? That's been a phrase that the Silicon Valley scammers and the affinity scammers that have targeted libertarians have really, really been pushing because the main thing that prevents people from knowing what's going on is saying, okay, I think crypto makes sense, right? I think taking this out of the hands of the Fed makes sense if we can, but now I have these 6,000 you know, cryptocurrencies to try to sift through. And just because right. Bitcoin's the biggest doesn't mean it's the best and blah, blah, blah. The reality is that, like I said, there's one legitimate project and a bunch of scams out there. So run through that 10 hours of Bitcoin if you're listening.com and then you'll, you, you'll stop saying crypto, right? It's like, it's not even part of the vocabulary. Um, so th that's a huge problem for, for libertarians. I think another problem in general is that uh, that a lot of a lot of libertarians still want a political solution, right? They're still they're either uh, like minarchists, you know, maybe the 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 Mises crowd they haven't full, gone full Rothbard yet, um, or they're you know they're they're basically you know I'd say conservatives that that want a little bit more freedom in, in individual sort of social uh, 
realm, right? So that's that's very difficult to get to the point where you're actually willing to give up politics, not just as a concept, but as a solution. So one of the big insights the cypherpunk movement had that started in the 90s, um, there's a guy named Timothy C. May that did a bunch of writing um, and kind of created this whole movement called the cypherpunk movement. And out of that is where we get Bitcoin. Their big insight and the big reason that they weren't associated with libertarians is that they said, look, it doesn't make sense to set up card tables. It doesn't make sense just to beat on education and, and you know education slash politics, whatever you want to call it. Because at the end of the day, it's profitable to run a central bank. And as long as it's profitable, somebody's going to do it, right? You could, you could not like it. We could even get to the point where you know 80% of the United States doesn't want to have a central bank, but it doesn't matter because if you ever end the US central bank, then the Chinese will roll in with their tanks and you'll have a Chinese central bank. So their insight was the way to solve this problem is from technology. You're not going to change human nature. You're not going to like educate people to the point where they're they're somehow no longer profitable servants, let's say. But if we can invent some kind of technology like Bitcoin that allows people to have that that breaks the back of the monopoly, right? Where you could privately buy this stuff. You could literally put you know uh, money in an envelope write somebody's address on it, mail it off, and then somebody can send you some of this electronic cash. In that world, you don't have to try to educate people. The, the tools will do the education for you. As soon as the option is available, number go up and people want Bitcoin, right? So that was, that was really the, the, the big insight that those guys had. And I think that is, uh, that's something that if Another sort of key thing that if libertarians can get their head around that, no, we're not going to just get a really good looking dude that's going to stand up there and change the world. We're going to have to invent and adopt technology that changes the nature of the battlefield altogether. I think we're going to see, and I think that's happening, uh, but I think we're going to see a huge flood of people that are no longer interested in who the treasurer is of some some goofy organization that sets up card tables. So what was interesting in a quote you said Tools do the education for you. It's very, um, it's very echoey of um, one Andrew Breitbart in terms of politics being downstream of culture. The the technology, and we see this right now. It's funny you say because I'm thinking of, of right now. I have you know, in my spheres of all the kids I know and stuff, or the family, uh, people I know, they have a lot of kids that are you know young kids, and they hold the iPad and know just they swipe back and forth. They can go to video after video. They they just learned it. They did just know it, right? And and they, yep. they, you're you're right. They, they didn't have to go through a, a you know a two year old iPad training course on how to go and and go from YouTube video to YouTube video. They just they just picked it up. So that's actually a very interesting point. That if we do see that we start to build the technology and it just becomes you know just second nature as you know the smartphone is or as you know almost like what Apple did with you know making smartphones making the airpods they start to make these products that you're like okay like it, do we need this and then all of a sudden it becomes the norm so this i guess could become the norm and let me give you a little pushback because that's what i have to do right is there any value that you see in in terms of the political um arm to help facilitate bitcoin you know becoming a real i guess more substantial alternative to maybe help pull back some of the, the the teeth of government that maybe are holding it back right now? Or or do you think that the politics arm is completely a waste of time? So I, I would say I agree that uh, politics is downstream from culture, but culture is downstream from technology. So if if a techno, you know, like the here, here's a good historical example. 
did we end racial slavery because we all had meetings in revival tents and came to Jesus and decided that we needed to treat people that were made in the image of God with decency? No, we didn't. We didn't have a we didn't have human nature change on scale. If you're a Christian, you should expect that you're always going to be part of a, a small remnant, right? So that's not going to necessarily change the greater culture. Um, you know, if you're a quote American Christian and you have no context of history, maybe you think we can just have this you know huge revival and everybody will get pickup trucks and flags and crosses and all of a sudden you know human nature is going to be different than it has been before. But if you if you have a little bit of the sweep of history, you should know that that's not likely. And, and what is likely is that there's going to be a technology that comes along that changes the name of the game. So. With racial slavery, we had the Industrial Revolution. It was no longer cost-effective to run around and beat people on the back to make them pick cotton. It just didn't make sense. We had too many tools that made that uh, no longer cost-effective. And what we really needed was skilled labor. And it's pretty hard to beat the hell out of somebody to make you, you know, a fine piece of woodwork, right? Or to put together, you know, fix the fix the engine in your car to figure out that you have a, a slipping linkage or something. That that just doesn't make sense because technology. Uh, made racial slavery obsolete. And what, what we're hoping, what the, the cypherpunk movement has been working towards for, for decades now, is that we can come up with a set of technologies that make central bank slavery irrelevant. So we have historical precedent for it. We know that this works. And we've never seen anything else in history that does work uh, other than coming up with a new technology that, that changes the nature of the game. So it, it's kind of ridiculous that a lot of us that care about this stuff, and I put myself in that camp for a long time, uh, think that we're just going to like educate our way out of this problem. And if, if you, well, as far as like politics goes, look at what's happening right now with Bitcoin. How many people are being introduced to Mises and Rothbard because of Bitcoin, not the other way around? How many liberals are buying Bitcoin right now, right? Because Elon Musk bought Bitcoin. They think that they're, you know, they're they're supporting something that is going to create this, you know, whatever. Like, like they wake up in the middle of the, the they wake up in the morning and they want to control other people's lives, right? Like that's that's the hallmark of being, you know, a good full-on blue liberal, right? But at the same time, they're buying Bitcoin and they're defunding their own uh, their own, you know, slave system, right? So, you know, they're running around trying to control other people's lives and they're defunding themselves. That's what technology does. It completely changes the nature of the game and it makes people that were your enemies, your allies, like liberals. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's working, right? And as far as like politicians and should we go ask, you know, excuse me, sir, can I have some of your porridge? No, because now that we have this technology, the, the script is completely flipped. And what politicians are doing is they're getting paid off by Bitcoin. So instead of trying to, you know, say, hey, you know, do you like my child? Can you kiss his forehead? Now, maybe you don't uh, take as much money from the pharmaceutical companies or something because you love me and you're going to do what's in my interest instead of what's in your own family's interest when all these checks are being written. The politicians are going, wow, Bitcoin's amazing. They're buying some of it. It's going up. Now Bitcoin owns them, right? The amount of lobbying money that Bitcoin is spending on politicians is outperforming the amount of lobbying money that pharmaceutical companies can spend. So do I need to go kiss their butt and set up card tables and, you know, try to get them to like my kids more than their own kids? Absolutely not. We're painting a better future here uh, for that, that, you know, vision. We're talking about sales. How do we get people from where they are to where they're going to be? So we're, we're setting it up. This is, this is the pathway. So as we wrap up here, what's the timeline? When, when can people, I guess, start to expect to see the world 
I mean, we're seeing it right now start to really, I guess, pay more attention. But maybe what's that timeline, do you think, that we're going to see the world not just pay attention, but to start really integrating Bitcoin as a real solution to replace the existing monetary system? I think it's happening right now and it's happening in a real clip. Um, The way that you can get at this is where is the best investment? Like if you want to take a super high risk investment, you want to outperform everything else. You're basically looking at like early stage Silicon Valley startups or Bitcoin. Those are really the only areas that you're going to, you, you can really expect crazy, you know, 100x returns over a decade sort of investments. So it's on the high risk side, uh, the best choice, right, in my opinion, because you're, you're getting those, those 100x return possibilities. Like when Bitcoin's fully adopted as global money, it's going to have to have more than $5 million per Bitcoin in purchasing power in like $2018, right? So it's a, it's a very big upside bet competes very well for likelihood and return on the on that that high risk side but now ask yourself like where is the safest possible place you could put your money right now it's definitely not gold people have realized that gold is stupid that it's an old technology that the only people that are buying it are you know it's boomer rocks and boomers are dying so do you really want to put your money there it doesn't offer anything in these problems, right? It's been around for a long time and we have central banking. So we know that it doesn't actually solve anything. Like if you wanted to be a principal, I'm going to go after the problem person. Uh, even if you don't care about number go up, it's not an option there. So gold is completely debunked at this point and, and not a place to go. And you can see it just from its price performance. So where where are you going to go? Are you going to go into stocks? Well, you know, stocks are being held up because they're printing. If they don't stop printing, they're going to They're either going to stop printing, which causes the stocks to crash, um, or they're going to continue to print, which seems just as likely, and then you're going to have hyperinflation and the stocks crash. So either way, stocks are not a great place to be right now. Bonds are a joke. Real estate, I mean, real estate hasn't made sense since before 2008. It's very clear that the only reason those that the store of value spot is very driven by banks holding an incredible amount of this stuff on their balance sheet and all kinds of other games that are being played there. Um, commercial real estate in, in the time of COVID, are you kidding me? Like everybody's working from home, you want to buy it? So there's no safer place to run to than Bitcoin. And there's no place that you can run to that has more potential upside. And it's being adopted really rapidly, right? We're not at over 50,000 when we were 5,000 a year ago for no reason. Um, and you know, you could say, oh, you look at the price chart, we got up to 20,000 before. It was a moment. It was like, I, I picked a really bad week to invest, right? Like I bought pretty close to the peak. And I, looking back on it, I couldn't have timed it worse. But the reality is, is that was a very short period of time. We've been way above 20,000 for a long time now. And back then, it was a lot of affinity scammers and Ponzi scheme sort of stuff going on that was pumping it up. A bunch of exchanges that were probably playing games with the order book. Now we have companies like Tesla. We have you know BNY Mellon. This is a whole different uh, universe. So looking at the price chart in the past is not going to really help you understand what's going on right now. So I think we're there. I think you know three, four, maybe five years at most, dollars dead. There you go, folks. That's your call to action. Get your savings in Bitcoin. And uh, how about this, folks? Uh, we want to make sure that you're staying up to date with all that's happening. So how about this? We're going to point folks to J.W. Weatherman's uh, Twitter, which is going to be at J.W. Weatherman with an underscore. And I'll include that in the uh, the show notes. But also, you've been doing a lot of work helping with the education standpoint. And it's helped you know a lot of folks out there who, like me, 
not too good at math, mathbot.com. We had you in the show back a couple years ago to talk about that. So here, as we wrap up, give a quick pitch to uh, folks who are math illiterate like me and are looking for a little extra help, or if they have kids who are currently outside of the uh, the, the schools, they're trying to learn math and they need a little extra help. Yeah, so mathbot.com is a project I've been working on for a while now. It, it teaches kids math and programming. Um, and it will, uh, by the time a kid is done with it, they'll definitely know more about programming than, you know, the average public school teacher. It's completely fun. Uh, it's just problem solving. So everybody loves it universally. So don't let the, the math term turn you off. Uh, math is actually fun when it's taught the right way. Um, so yeah, check it out. And then if you have any feedback for me, hit me up on Twitter. J.W. Weatherman, as always, a fantastic conversation. And honestly, I feel so edumacated after this uh, this nice, uh, succinct talk about Bitcoin. So, folks, if you enjoyed today's episode, please share the episode with family and friends. With that being said, J.W. Weatherman, thanks for joining The Brian Nichols Show. Right on, man. Thanks for having me. When we're talking about living a truly free and independent life, we mean it. And that's exactly what Gary Collins, who is the creator of The Simple Life, set out to accomplish. And now you have a chance to learn all the secrets that Gary has developed over decades of trying it out himself, building these amazing courses, as you can go to thesimplelifenow.com and access three amazing courses. One being the Off the Grid Master Course, two being the how to finance your off-grid home course and three how to find your dream off-grid property course and get an awesome 10% off at checkout by using code tbns10 that's right you too can learn how to live a truly free and independent lifestyle by living off-grid and all these amazing courses are delivered to you by yes one gary collins from the simplelifenow.com use code tbns10 at checkout for 10% off your order and start living your free life today Let's sell liberty and look good doing it with Proud Libertarian. Folks, when we're selling liberty, we have to start things off by piquing interest. And what better way to pique some interest than by rocking some amazing apparel from Proud Libertarian. Personally, I'm a huge fan of their Do Good Recklessly t-shirt, but there's more than t-shirts to find from awesome taxationist theft snapbacks to the killer Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death hoodies. Proud Libertarian has all the libertarian swag you need. And guess what? Brian Nichols Show audience members can rock the latest libertarian swag and save some cash on every single order. All you have to do, use code TBNS at checkout and you'll get 10% off your entire cart at checkout. That's right. Each time you order, use code TBNS and you'll instantly get 10% off your entire order. Listen, I am super excited to have Proud Libertarian here as a sponsor of the Brian Nichols Show. So do me a favor, head over there to Proud Libertarian, place your order today, use code TBNS at checkout, save 10% on your order and help support libertarian entrepreneurs today. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with J.W. Weatherman, all things Bitcoin. I feel like I am leaving the conversation educated, enlightened, and informed, and I certainly hope that you are as well. And if you are, uh, then do me a favor, please share today's episode and make sure you go ahead and tag me at B Nichols Liberty, Twitter, Facebook, Minds.com, and Parlor.com, and I'll make sure I include JW's uh, his links in the show notes as well, so you can go ahead and make sure you tag him as well. Also, if you particularly enjoy the episode, well, two things. Number one, go ahead, give me a shout. I'd love to hear about it. Email me, Brian at Brian Nichols Show.com. And head over to your favorite pad, uh, podcast catcher. Uh, 
particularly number one Apple Podcast because that's where uh, everybody seems to look for the, the ratings and reviews. If you could give us a five-star rating and review, tell folks why you listen to The Brian Nichols Show. It costs you nothing, and it means everything because uh, it's how people are going to look for some social proof and say, oh, well, look at all these fantastic folks out there listening to this program. Maybe I should go ahead and give this a listen. And folks, if you're finding that you're learning creative ways to sell liberty folks out there beyond the confines of our liberty movement, well, guess what? I'm sure there are folks out there just like you. So I'm going to ask you again, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us that five-star rating and review, and make sure you've hit subscribe uh, if it's your Apple Podcasts or wherever you get you po- your uh, your podcast delivered to, because coming up here on Friday, returning to the show, yes, he has been so busy. I, I teased it last episode. He was giving some, some uh, testimony before Congress. <sighs> no big deal. Brad Palumbo from the Foundation for Economic Education Fee is returning to the Brian Nichols Show. Oh yeah, he has an awesome podcast, Break boundaries with Brad Palumbo as well and uh, we're going to talk all things that's been happening with this infrastructure bill question mark is it an infrastructure bill how much money actually goes to the infrastructure not much you'll hear about all that I promise and more with another fun-filled episode with Brad Palumbo coming up here on Friday so with that being said folks thank you so much for joining us here on today's episode of the Brian Nichols show I'm your humble host Brian Nichols signing off here for JW Weatherman we'll see you Friday Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.